Hi, and welcome to the White Hill podcast series. My name is Roger. I'm one of the pastors here at White Hill, and we're glad that you've chosen to listen to one of the podcast messages today. Our prayer is that you would be challenged and inspired to take the next steps in your journey with God as you listen to this message. If you want to keep in touch with more things that are happening at Whitehill, head to our website at whitehill.church and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Enjoy this message now. And this is Jesus teaching his disciples about prayer. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and, I, and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness... He will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though... You are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Thank you, Roger. Good morning, everyone. How are we all? Good. Some some, some not going to answer. Well, you know what? I'm good. This is my last Sunday before I'm out of here. Now, I don't know whether Meryl is clapping because she's looking forward to long lunches or just uh, for me to have a break away, which will be lovely. So I fly out on Saturday. Um, I head for a conference over in Alabama, which is a strange place to head for a conference, but that's where it is. So I'm heading over there for a week and then having four weeks off uh, visiting family in the US. One of the things we had to do with our trip to the US uh, was make sure we all had our passports right. Uh, Those of you that are parents would know this dilemma, and uh, particularly because our kids run out of passports every five years. Now, we don't go overseas often, so it's like every time we want to go overseas, whether it's to Bali or anywhere, we have to go and get new passports done for our kids. And uh, I went over and I looked at our kids' passports, and wouldn't you know it, because you've got to have six months left on your passport to go overseas, they had five months. 
So had to go through all the hassle of applying and all the fees and trying to navigate all those things. And then you've got to get someone to sign the photograph and get the right photograph and all of that sort of hassle. Anyway, applications went off. We did this months ago because I was uh, well prepared. Charlotte's came back and Aiden's still hasn't come back. And uh, I, I thought maybe it's a sign, Aiden. You're just not meant to go. Um, but uh, uh, so I called up the passport office. It's been uh, like over eight weeks now to find out what's going on. And as we all know, when you call a government department, you get a friendly person on the other end of the phone who answers all your questions. <laughs> uh, uh, no, that's not true. I, I actually got the usual phone navigation answering machine system, you know, where they answer the phone and they say, thank you for calling the passports office. Don't you know you can get answers checking on the website? Because if I could get them on the website, I would have gone to the website. And then they start going through all their options. And you've got to press like five or six different buttons to go through the tree to get to the right person that you need to talk to. Anyway, I went through the tree and have you already applied? Yes, I've applied, number two. Uh, and then, uh, do you want to check on the progress? And I thought, wow, I've actually got the right... Oh. So I clicked number one, check on the progress of an application. And then, of course, you get the answering machine message again, saying, thank you for your call. Make sure you've allowed at least six weeks to get your passport application processed. And uh, at the moment, we're actually experiencing long delays and long queues with uh, different passport applications. And at the moment, we can't take your call. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So I thought, blow this. I'm going to call back again. I'm going to choose a different, different option on the tree. I was determined to get through to someone. And so I followed through. Any other inquiries? Yep, that's me. I've got, a, I've got another inquiry as to why they didn't answer my call the first time. And anyway, went through the tree again. Bang. And uh, then they said, uh, we're experiencing long delays at the moment. And uh, please be patient as you, as you wait. So, you know, you, then you get the elevator music. So, you know, I just put my phone on the desk, put it on speakerphone and, and just started working. And every now and again, I'd look over on it, half an hour, keep going, keep going, hour, gone, 90 minutes, still gone. For goodness sake, it went to two hours, and I thought, this is just ridiculous. I hung up. I thought, you know, I'll call back at opening hours at 8 a.m. in the morning, and I'm sure to get it. So left the call that time, came back the following day, dialed up the number again, and of course, I tried firstly the one to check on progress, and again, that just hung up on me. This time, I went through to the other inquiries, and it went through all those different options, and this time, it got through, press, press this for, we're experiencing high, heavy call volumes at the moment, and now we can't take your call. Goodbye. I thought, oh, for goodness sake. Now, even that option, they had dead-ended. And I thought, there is just no hope in actually getting an answer. And uh, uh, I end up calling up another day thinking maybe it was the start of the day, you know, right on 8 a.m. I'm going to call up just at opening time, uh, you know, when 8.03. And I'm thinking, man, there's still no one working because it had the answering machine on. 8.05, 
got through, started to go through the message train. I thought, fantastic, I've got to be the first person. They changed the message train and they've removed the options. (laughs) Yeah, they knew I was ringing. (laughs) Me and probably uh, a thousand other people calling to try and find out where their passports were. Anyway, so... uh, As we start our series today, uh, we're looking at prayer conversations. And prayer really is uh, not just the foundation of the Christian life, but it really is part of the heartbeat of the Christian life. And so for the next eight weeks, we want to work through this series to help us all grow in our prayer endeavours as we seek to relate to God. So we're going to start looking at how do I start to pray? Uh, How do I approach God? What should I ask? How do I hear from God? We're going to look at some spiritual warfare. And in amongst the series, we're also going to be doing a 21 days of prayer together. And we're going to have a special prayer morning coming up. So lots of fantastic things that are going to be happening through this series as we journey together. And our heart is that at some point, there will be something that you're able to grow from, something that you're going to be able to learn something new, and to be able to develop in your own prayer life. Because I know uh, when we first come to Christ, often we come... And we start on our own and by ourselves and we don't know what to pray. We don't know how to start and how to really get into it. Sometimes we try and we think we fail. We pray and we feel we have no answers. Uh, Sometimes we sense things and we don't know, is that really God? Or is that just my imagination going off? You know, I was praying for that Ferrari and the Porsche pulled up in the drive. No. Um, How do we know what is actually from God and how God is going to speak to us? And so we're going to start this morning with this fantastic passage in Luke chapter 11. So if you've got your Bibles, keep them open because that's what we're going to be looking at in Luke chapter 11. And uh, Jesus here in this passage starts it in the best place possible. Because when we start to read this passage in verse 1 of Luke 11, what does it tell us? It tells us one day Jesus was praying. You know, if you're going to learn about prayer, you want to learn it from someone who is praying. And Jesus is praying and his disciples wait politely until he's finished. And then they notice that there is something different about what Jesus is doing. And they ask him to teach them how to pray. They didn't ask him to teach them how to preach. They didn't ask him how to teach them how to fish. It was how to pray was the one thing that they wanted to see. And here in this passage, they say, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, of course, it's talking about John the Baptist. Now, when you think about John the Baptist, you may not think of a person who is a person of prayer. You might think of John the Baptist as that crazy man who hung out in the wilderness, who uh, lived on honey and wore camel's hair. Uh, I I can't imagine what a camel hair garment would be like. A bit like wearing a hessian sack, I imagine. Um, Itchy, scratchy, no thanks. Um, But John, who lived in the wilderness, was known for baptizing people. Sometimes we might think, yeah, he was the guy who spoke about Herod 
and eventually off with his head came. Now, the 12 disciples, however, a couple of which who were his disciples, remembered John as a man of prayer. They remembered him as a, a man who would actually spend time in prayer. Now, we know John was the miracle baby. He was the one who was filled with the Holy Spirit before he was born. And yet he still had to pray. We know that John is described by Jesus as the greatest of the prophets. And yet he still had to depend on prayer. John also had the privilege of introducing Jesus to the people. And he prayed. John's disciples saw him at prayer though. And they wanted to learn from him. And so Jesus' disciples see him praying in the same way. And there should be nothing that would convince us more that we need to learn and grow in prayer than actually knowing about Jesus as a man of prayer. Because Jesus was, of course, the second person of the Trinity. He was God. But he saw it as so important that he relayed to the persons of the Trinity, to the Father in prayer, that he spent immense time in prayer. And so as we go through the book of Luke, which we're not going to do today, but Jesus prayed at his baptism. He prayed before he chose the 12 in Luke 6. He prayed as the crowds increased in Luke 5. He prayed before he asked the 12 their confession of faith in Luke 9. He prayed at the transfiguration in Luke 9. And his disciples often saw him praying up early and alone. And they wanted to learn from him. And so Jesus gives us this shortened version of the Lord's Prayer that we read here in Luke, 1, Luke 11. It's a little bit shorter than the one we read of in Matthew, but very much same sort of content. Now, we're not going to look at all those elements today because we've got the time to break them up and look at them in the coming weeks. But I want you to notice you go to the Lord's Prayer that it, it not only is a model that we can use to learn prayer, both at an individual level, but also at a corporate level when we pray. Because as you read the Lord's Prayer here, we read all of the pronouns are plural. And so it was very much meant to be used also in a liturgical way as in as a congregation that we can pray together. That's why it says give us, the us is plural. Our daily bread is plural. Forgive us our sins, they're plural. It's not just at an individual level that Jesus is wanting to teach us, but he's wanting his people, his church, his disciples to be able to pray together. And so Jesus teaches them those things. But the one thing that I did want to look with you at this morning is a couple of principles which Jesus explains here that really come before this that are foundational to prayer because it speaks to what we should expect when we go to prayer. And it should invite us into that space of intimacy with the Father to spend time in prayer so that we don't just roll out of bed in the morning bleary-eyed, but we actually are allowing ourselves to spend time with God. 
to know that God is not going to be like the passport office, that you're going to get a machine and have to click various numbers in order to try and make contact, which ultimately ends up being futile and a complete waste of time. Now, I know in prayer, sometimes Satan sells us the lie. He sells us the lie that God really doesn't care about you, that he really doesn't want to be bothered with your troubles, and that God will put you on hold almost seemingly forever without answering you and without talking to you. And so Jesus, in these two short stories, gives us two principles that we need to take on board if we are ever going to grow in our faith. And the first of those is very simple, is that God is simply our loving Heavenly Father. At the start of the Lord's Prayer, we're taught to pray our Father. There is a relational side there that He wants us to take on board. And let's get into the story then and see exactly what it is that He wants us to pick from this and how we are to understand it. Jesus tells a story. The scene is that it's late at night. Uh, perhaps the traveller who has been journeying along travelled at night so as to avoid the heat of the day. And so he turns up and arrives at his friend's place in the middle of the night. Uh, so it's like the wee hours. And of course, most people, no matter how late we go to bed, we eventually end up in bed. But in the first century, it wasn't like you could stay up till all hours watching the telly and binging Netflix. No, people would generally go to bed together because there's no electricity. You could maybe light an oil lamp, but that would be an expense. And generally, people would wake up together in the morning. And so the visitor would turn up and eventually arrive at his guest house. Uh, sorry, the visitor would turn up at his host house and... His host would be there. He would uh, welcome him in. But unfortunately, this host wasn't fully prepared and didn't have some food to help refresh his guest who had been traveling and no doubt was hungry. Now, back in the ancient world, hospitality was one of the most important characteristics of a person and particularly for an entire community. So if you didn't show hospitality, not only did it bring shame on you, not only did it bring shame on your family, but it brought shame on the entire village or community in which you dwelt. So if you had someone come over to be a guest and you didn't show them good hospitality, uh, you would be ostracized by your community. Uh, they just wouldn't talk to you. So what happens is this traveller comes to his guest at night. Unfortunately, he doesn't have the food. Now, because the villagers were small, maybe he smelt who was doing the cooking of the bread that day. And so he went to his neighbour. And his neighbour was already asleep. Now, don't think of houses like you and I might live in. Three, four bedroom, even two bedroom. In the ancient Near East, they may have had a one-bedroom place that they all lived in and slept in together. Uh, maybe the mat was rolled up when they woke up in the morning so that they could do their cooking inside or whatever they needed to do. 
But the whole family would lay down on a mat and they would all be asleep together. And so imagine that you're there with all of your kids. You've all crashed out together. That wouldn't work in my house. I snore too loudly. Um, uh, And I'm sure lots of other people here can associate with that same thing. Some can't escape like my poor wife who has to endure it. But there they are. They're all sleeping together. And all of a sudden, they've got that rack on the door. What is it? And it's their neighbor is at the door. And he's got no bread left. Maybe he only has half of a big loaf, and that was too embarrassing to serve to a guest. And so he, he's racking, he's saying, I need some bread. I need some bread. And his friend is already in bed. And he says, look, I can't get up, because for him to get up, he would have had to wake up pretty much the whole family, tread over one or two kids. You know what it's like stepping in the middle of the night? There's no nightlight. So they would have been stepping on top of them, waking them all up. And then he would have had to slide the big bolt that would lock and secure their door so that he could answer his friend. And what Jesus says in this scene is that he won't answer his friend just because it's the middle of the night, but because his friend is persistent, his neighbor is persistent, sure, he will get up just so that he can go back to sleep. Now, I don't know about you what you're like if you're woken up in the middle of the night. I remember when my kids were little, uh, I would sort of hear a bit of a sound. I would stir a little bit. I would struggle to open my eyes. Sometimes you have that freaky moment where you've got a child standing over you. (laughs) I've worked out that if you're quiet enough and you keep your eyes closed and open them too much, they go to mum's side. (laughs) But generally, my wife was so good on the mark, she would be out of bed and she would hear them. And then I'd get up in the morning and she'd say, uh, she'd say she was tired and I wouldn't know what was wrong. And uh, I'd say, why? Why are you tired? Apart from the fact that I'd snored all night. Um, and, and then she would say, didn't you hear one of our kids, you know, they were vomiting and vomited all over their bed sheets and I had to get up. I said, no, I didn't hear a thing. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to lead all of our young men astray. Of course, you've got to get up for your kids if they stand over the top of you. And there were occasions where, obviously, Megan, or I was, I was there by myself, maybe, <laughs> and had no choice but to get up and look after our kids. Um, but this neighbour is finally woken up. He does come out. Now, what is Jesus use this story to help illustrate. There are three different meanings that have been suggested for this and perhaps a combination of all of them helps with the richness of what this passage actually shares with us. Some say here that the key idea is persistence in prayer, that we have to learn to keep racking on the door and eventually God, of course, will answer our prayers. Now, whilst Jesus does teach something similar in Luke 18 about persistence in prayer, I don't think that that's what the core of this passage is because it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. In other words, it's an argument talking about how bad we are as humans, how sinful we are, and how much we would struggle to get up as a comparison to what God is like. And so that's the second option that people give us, is that it's not a comparison, but a contrast 
a contrast between the way God answers prayer and the way we answer requests. Whilst we may be reluctant and we may only answer when we're hard-pressed, God, on the other hand, will answer, of course, far more graciously to our needs. The third option that people give, the third interpretation, is that the word here... uh, which can be true, or which is written in your New Testament, translated as persistence or as shameless audacity in the NIV, can actually be referring to that sense of shame in the ancient world regarding what happens when we don't actually answer. In other words, in the first century, the man got out of bed because he knew ultimately it would bring shame on him and his whole family if he didn't respond. In the same way, uh, God will do what is honourable to us as his children when we bring our requests to him in prayer. Now, whether it is one, whether it is all three or combined, the argument is clear and simple that God will hear our prayers and respond. He doesn't do that because he is a friend or a reluctant neighbour, but he does it because when we place our trust in Christ, there is an adoption that happens of us, and we enter God's family and we are considered children of him. He is our heavenly father, not a neighbour, And he doesn't sleep, he never gets impatient or irritable, and he is always generous. He always delights in meeting the needs of us as his children. And so Jesus sums up with this simple verse in verses 9 and 10. What does he say? He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. And then read this, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. All that is required of us is that we actually take action in the first place, that we actually pray and ask God, You know, so often we go through challenges and struggles and maybe sometimes we think, why am I struggling? Why am I full of worry? Why am I stressed out? And the question I've got to ask is, well, have you actually prayed about that? Which seems like a bit of a, a, a silly or a simple response. But the question and the response that Jesus gives to his disciples is that, If you only ask, it will be given. Because everyone who asks, receives. Or if you needed guidance, why don't you seek it from God? Because everyone who seeks, finds. Action is required of us if we are going to grow in prayer. But know when we ask, We're not asking of that reluctant neighbor who is asleep inside that we have to rack on the door. We're asking a God who is our father. And if you didn't have a good model of a father, I know that can be difficult because I'm in that same boat. But here, 
Jesus is going to expand a little bit further for our second principle. If the first principle is to know that when you go to prayer, you're praying to your heavenly Father who loves you, the second principle is that this heavenly Father who loves you knows how to give good gifts. He knows how to give you the things that are going to be beneficial, that are going to be good for you. And he talks about a comparison again with human fathers. Here he says in verse 11, let me recap. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? We know if our children ask us for food, as in piece of dried fish, which was common food in those days, or an egg, again common, we're not going to give them something that is going to poison them. You know, it's like your kids come home from school and they're hungry and you say, oh, you know, get a biscuit out of the cupboard or a piece of fruit if you're a really health-driven person. You're not going to say, look, under the sink there's a canister of Drano. Go for that. That'll fix you up. We're not going to do that, are we? Hopefully not. We hopefully are intensely good parents who know what is good for our children. And that might mean fruit instead of a biscuit, but we know what is good. Now, there are two steps here that Jesus uses to reinforce what is going on. Firstly, he says, God is your heavenly father and he will do no less for his children than an ordinary father will do. But second, he's also saying that God is our perfect heavenly father and he will do so much more. Verse 12, sorry, verse 13, he says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now, I always got shocked by this because I thought, you know what? If I was praying for peace or if I was praying for God's provision, giving me the Holy Spirit seems like I'm coming up short. Uh, but that's not what he's trying to say. In fact, if you go to Matthew 7.11, uh, this same passage is written, and instead of the Holy Spirit, it says that he, the Father in heaven gives us good gifts to those who ask. Now, what is better to say, that God will give us good gifts when we pray to him or that we have the Holy Spirit? Now, as believers, we know that after Jesus died and ascended to heaven, that he sent the Holy Spirit to all believers. So we don't actually have to ask for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to all believers. But here's the thing. What is it that the Holy Spirit, what function does the Holy Spirit carry out in our lives the great thing is when he says he gives the holy spirit he's telling us that he is actually dwelling there with us so when we are at a point of need when we are receiving a really difficult health diagnosis when we are struggling with finances and we don't know what to do when we are seeking guidance we can know that god is with us 
because God is the one and the Holy Spirit is the one that sustains us. He is the living water that bubbles up inside. He is the bread of life. He is the one that will give us the guidance that we need, who will open his word to our minds. It doesn't mean that God isn't going to answer your prayer. Rather that it is an assurance that God himself is with you. He is always present to guide and strengthen, to care and support, to hear and respond to our prayers. One of the memories I have with my kids as a father, one of the fun memories, is when our kids were just toddlers. And I remember uh, we, when uh, we first got married, we lived in a church manse. And across the road, though, was a nice park. And it had a playground up there. And uh, uh, occasionally I would take the kids across the road so that they could play on the monkey bars. Now, when I grew up, we had monkey bars that were just like a, a metal ladder that went overhead and then down. Does everyone remember those? Um, now they have these monkey, web, monkey bars that are like a spider's web and you've got tubes and tunnels and everything else. And uh, I tell you, I knew I was starting to get old when I had to start climbing through these little uh, rings and tunnels. But I would teach Ashley, our, our oldest uh, child, how to do that when she was a toddler. And she would climb in and she would, I said, put a hand there, put a hand there. This is how you do it. And when there was a part that she got stuck on, I taught her how to move her foot to the next bar and how to move it to the next bar, how to move her hands and how to stay secure and safe on those monkey bars. Now, I didn't do that sitting on the bench over the side. I did that uh, with a hand underneath or a hand right nearby so that if she slipped, I would quickly grab her and she would be safe and secure. That she was not going to fall. She might bump her head if I was too slow, but um, she was not going to fall and break her neck. Uh, she was always, I was always there present with her as she was moving through those difficult obstacles. Now, the point of this passage is that Although we, as human fathers, we know how to do those things. We know how to look after our children. We know how to protect them, how to keep them safe most of the time. How much more does God do that for us? Is God able to care for us? So as we start this series on prayer, we should take great comfort from this invitation that Jesus gives us into prayer, that we don't need to come on bended knee before a tyrant king or a malicious boss or even before a neglectful government department that is going to cause us to wait on hold. We come to our Heavenly Father who is ever-present with us through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. He is a God who wants to answer our prayers, not because of a persistence, because he is tired and weary and doesn't want to get up, but because he is a gracious and loving Father by comparison. He loves us and cares for us. He is not vindictive and heartless, and he works for our good. He works for our good. 
So as you head out today, as you wake up tomorrow, know that when you wake up, God is there. And he is lovingly waiting for you to speak to him. I love the prayer uh, of writer, missionary, theologian, Norman Grubb. Uh, he's also an author who wrote a great book on prayer called Reese Howe's Intercessor. If you ever want to have your uh, socks knocked off and challenged about prayer, just read about Reese Howe's and his prayer life and his prayer journey. It's a great uh, instructional book and a great encouragement. But when Norman Grubb got up in the morning, he became the director of WEC. Uh, he knew C.T. Studd and spent 10 years out on the mission field in Africa and then came home and he came home to uh, what was the worldwide evangelical crusade, uh, which is short acronym for WEC, um, which is a missionary society in the 1930s. And when he came back, uh, they had 42 missionaries on the field and they had a pound, an English pound, in the bank. Their missionaries were starving out on the field. And the advice of lots of people to those around was just to close it up. It was obviously not working. But he had spent time with C.T. Studd and his conviction was that he needed to pray. And such was his life. In the morning, his morning prayer was, Good morning, Lord. What are you up to today? Can I be a part of it? Thank you. Amen. Simple, to the point, acknowledging that God was there with him and he wanted to be a part of whatever God was doing that day. By the time Norman Grubb uh, retired as the director, uh, some 50 years later, there was over a thousand missionaries with WEC out on the field. And they were all well and truly supported in what they were doing. God is able to hear us because he loves us. He cares for us. He knows our needs. He wants to answer, but he also wants us to ask. He wants us to rely on him through prayer. The first step is just simply acknowledging that God is there that he wants to hear your prayers and that he wants to answer. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we come to this topic of prayer, often we can feel insufficient. We can feel that our prayer lives are a struggle or maybe they're almost non-existent, except when some emergency crops up and we're driven to our knees. But Father, you don't want that to be the case in our lives because you love us as our Heavenly Father. You are the one that cares for us far more than our earthly fathers ever could dare to or imagine. You are the one that steps into the gap when we're in trouble. You're the one that's there waiting for us and listening to us. You are not the reluctant neighbor that we have to bash the door down in order for you to respond. You never sleep. You're always awake and attentive to our prayers. And you tell us that if we ask, we will receive. That if we seek, we will find. And that if we knock, the door will be opened. 
So help us to come to you this week, Father, in prayer we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. If you live locally here in the Ipswich region, we would love to invite you to come and join us in person uh, here at one of our Sunday gatherings at Whitehill. Uh, for more information on our services or our ministries, head on over to our website at whitehill.church. If you're interested also in taking next steps in your relationship with Jesus, please also at our website, hit the connect button and let us know where you're at. We would love to catch up with you either over a coffee or on a phone call to chat with you about where you're at. We hope you've enjoyed watching this message and we pray that God would continue to bless you as you seek to seek Him in your daily life. God bless.